Welcome to the Big Kid Problems podcast, based on the comedic social channel all about not wanting to be an adult. I'm your host, Sarah Merrill, the writer, creator, and pretty normal human behind the popular Instagram, Twitter, blog, and now podcast, Big Kid Problems. So I've spent the last almost decade making jokes about navigating the adult world. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that no matter what your age is, we all have big kid problems. We're all just trying to figure it out. So thank you so much for joining me as we navigate adulthood together. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the Big Kid Problems podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Merrill Hall. I'm the chick behind the comedy Instagram, Twitter, blog, and now podcast, Big Kid Problems. Welcome to the show. All right. So this is actually our last episode of the freaking year. I can't believe it. We made it. 2021 is wrapping up. And boy, what a year it was. We have been lucky enough to have on so many incredible guests on the show. We've talked about so many different topics. And I wanted to use this last episode of the year to share a few of my favorite clips, some of the biggest aha moments, and some of the most talked about episodes of the year. This was actually incredibly hard to narrow down, by the way. Like, I feel like all of these episodes are kind of like my babies. So it's hard to play favorites, but I think you guys are going to like these. And if you're newer to this show, I mean, these clips will kind of give you a nice little taste of this podcast in general. So if you hear an episode on here that you haven't listened to yet, Highly encourage you guys to go back and take a listen. Maybe discover some new episodes that catch your eye. I mean, that's the beauty of this show. I mean, none of these episodes are really time sensitive. Like you can go back into the library and find episodes from like the very beginning back in 2018 that are still relevant today. So while we get ready for this new year, I hope this episode gets your juices flowing, maybe gives you a couple insights to think about. And then I'm excited to meet you guys back here in early 2022. 2022, God, that's a mouthful, for our annual New Year's ritual episode. If you're a longtime listener, you know I'm one of those psychos that actually like low-key loves New Year's. I love that it's like a time to start fresh and set your intentions. And I always do this like New Year's episode to help us get our head in the game and set up our goals for the year ahead. But I can already tell you, this coming New Year's episode is going to look a little different. But I digress. Okay. I have loved sharing this year with all of you and hope you have gotten something from this podcast over the last 12 months. If not... I guess today's episode is kind of our last chance. So please get comfy and we will be right back. You guys, we're about to enter a new year and this is the perfect time to clean up your subscriptions and start saving some of your hard-earned money. If you think about it, how many free trial subscriptions end up costing you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars long after you forget to cancel? It's time to fight back against scammy subscriptions with Truebill. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. 
On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. You just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in just one tap. Your Truebill concierge is there too when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so that you don't have to. When I signed up for Truebill, I was shocked to see some of the subscriptions I was still paying for. I was paying like $10 a month for some editing app I haven't touched in two years. This is such an easy way to save money. I mean, everyone, and I do mean everybody, needs to hop on the Truebill train. Chew, chew. <laughs> Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at truebill.com slash BKP. Go right now. Truebill.com slash BKP. It could save you thousands a year. That's truebill.com slash BKP. Okay, so we're going to kick this episode off by going way back. All the way back to one of our first episodes of the year, episode number 66 with best-selling author, speaker, and podcast host, Sahara Rose. God, that episode feels like 50 years ago. I can't believe that was still 2021. So early this year, Sahara released her new book, Discover Your Dharma, A Vedic Guide to Finding Your Purpose. And she came on the podcast to talk to us about like what Dharma is, which is this ancient, ancient concept of who we're meant to be in this lifetime. And in this clip from the episode, Sahara breaks down how to know if you're on the right path in life, what it means when life starts throwing obstacles your way, and offers us a little motivation for going for our dreams. So the way that I see it, we were all born on this highway. And at the end of the highway is your dharma. It's your fullest expression. It's who you were meant to be in this lifetime. So as you're going down this highway, you're on cruise control, you're, you're feeling the flow, you're experiencing synchronicities. And that's like, you're, you're meeting the right people at the right time. You're having the right conversations. You're, you turn on a podcast, you hear exactly what it is that you needed to hear right now. You get on Instagram, it's the exact quote that you needed to hear. And it's like, you've almost taken a passenger seat to your own life and the universe is propelling you in the direction of your dharma. So that's that feeling of, of effortless flow. And that's what so many spiritual books talk about. Follow the flow, follow the path of least resistance, follow what feels right. And that's truly how life was meant to be lived. Like that is your birthright. That is who you are at your core. However, we live in a society that doesn't really... It, it doesn't set us up for success to live our most flow-like state and to be in alignment with our dharma. You know, as a child, you are very in touch with your gifts and then you go into institution, which tells you to think this and be that. And 8 p.m., 8 a.m., we're going to do history and 9, we're going to do algebra. And it's like so not natural for us. And to second guess yourself and that teacher knows right. And now your parents' point of authority is your teacher's form of authority, is your guidance counselor, your college counselor, your boss. There's always going to be someone to tell you what to do next. So essentially, this shuts down our ability to feel that flow and feel that synchronicities. And we get off of these exits now. So these exits off the highway are like, you'll make a lot more money doing this. Or, well, everyone's doing that. Or your parents will only be proud of you if you do that. Or it's way too late for you to do that. So 
everyone you see around you is getting off one of these exits and people are telling you, wait, you're, you're still going straight for Dharma. Don't you know that thing doesn't even exist? Don't you know that that's just some baloney they tell you as a kid to follow your dreams, but it's actually like Santa Claus and it doesn't really, it doesn't actually exist out there. So you're like, oh fuck, like has my whole life been taught to like follow my dreams? And then you grow up and it's like, no, we were just front and there. Do not do that. And so you get off the you get off one of the exits too. It's it's all you see people around you doing. And the universe responds. And the universe responds in the only language that we can understand, which is pain and obstacles. So at first it gives you tap, tap, tap. You feel anxious really don't want to go into work. Something is just feeling off. But most of the time we think, oh, life's tough. Get a helmet. Keep going. So, you know, you keep going. Maybe you like have an extra glass of wine at night to cope with things and you you keep going. And then it begins to respond really bad anxiety, panic attacks, depression, breakdowns. And then you look around and you're like, well, this must be normal. Everyone else I know is going through this. So I guess I got to start drinking more. I guess I got to start self-numbing, self-whatever it is that I'm doing more to cope with this life because this is what it is. So you keep going and you keep going again off that exit further and further away from your dharma. And then the universe shakes you up. It shakes you up in whatever way you will listen. For some people, that could look like a collision. For some Hmm. people, I just spoke with earlier today, he's like, I stepped on a hair straightener and then my foot got infected. I couldn't walk for three months. I'm like, that's what your soul needed. Like, (laughs) it looks like something that you just can't not pay attention to. So everyone's going to have their own unique breakdown that it takes for them to pay attention. And some people still don't. Some people live in a series of breakdown after breakdown after breakdown after breakdown. And they think, why is the world out to get me? Mm -hmm. But oftentimes we use that as an awakening moment. Like, And this doesn't mean that you're less special or less intuitive if you have to get there. Eckhart Tolle was nearly going to kill himself before he realized the power of now. And now look at where he's at. So some people need to really hit a breakdown moment to make a shift. It's like, depending on how much you're listening. So when you are able to note that these feelings of pain, resistance, the universe stopping me from my path are actually a sign that something needs to change. You become more adept. You're able to make a U-turn. You're able to turn back and say, okay, I know that this is not how life is meant to be lived. So I need to change. Now here is where people get stuck. And here's where I was like, why aren't spiritual books talking about this? It's like, so then what what do you do now? It's like, what do you, you're you're working at this job for 10 years. What do you do? You just quit. And I think that oftentimes to get to the path of least resistance, you have to take the path you are the most resistant to. So it's not that you just, I'm just going to live my life in flow. To get to that flow, you're going to be confronted with your biggest fears, the very things that you were running away from. So I like to think of it like you're on a beach and you're on that beach, on that sand, and your dharma, your purpose is out in the open waters. But to get to those open waters, you got to go through the waves. And those waves are the obstacles, the conditioning, the, the times that you haven't listened to yourself. And the further away you are from that, the more decisions you've made not in alignment with your dharma, the bigger these waves are going to get. 
So oftentimes we try to get into the water, the waves throw us back and we're like, oh, fuck it. Dharma must not exist. Or you see your uncle on the shore like, yeah, I tried to make it in my college band and it didn't work. So don't follow your dreams. And you know, you, you hear stories like that. So you're like, you know, maybe these open waters don't exist. But if you can trust that the reason why people are talking about the purpose of life for so many years is because there is something out there for each and every person. And you begin to go through those waves and you get stronger and you learn how to dodge them. And you learn how to duck and you become a better swimmer until you make it out to those open waters. And that's when you're living in flow. That's when you're in that path of least resistance. But it's not an instant shift to get there. It requires you going into those really deep pain points that you may have escaped from feeling of unworthiness, feeling like you're not good enough, feeling like it's too late, you're not educated enough, whatever it is, because those experiences or your unique training to help you embody your dharma. This next clip comes from one of my all-time favorite episodes. And I know I shouldn't say that. Like I actually have a lot of favorite episodes, but this one just captures so much of what this Big Kid Problems podcast is about. And it's with the author of one of my favorite self-improvement books that I read this year. It's called Buy the Fucking Lilies and Other Rituals to Fix Your Life. I related to this book so hard and the author, Tara Schuster, is just so warm and personable and gave us so many good gems in this episode. It's number 83 if anyone wants to go back and listen. And this clip was such a personal aha moment for me because I realized I was very guilty of skimping on myself. Take a listen. I'd love to hear why you named your book by yourself, The Fucking Lilies. And also, I mean, you talked about this whole concept of like not skimping on yourself. Mm-hmm. And I like, I feel like we cannot wrap this in- interview up without talking about that. Yeah, absolutely. I really believed at my core that I wasn't valuable, that no one had taken care of me. So thus, I must be worthless. Because when you're growing up, the first things you learn about yourself are what your parents mirror to you. So growing up neglected, I just figured, oh, I deserve to be neglected. Like, this is what I deserve. And so it would manifest itself in these really weird ways. We're like, I was now climbing the corporate ladder. I was producing for Key and Peele. I, you know, was going to like fancy Hollywood parties. But... I'd be like, do I deserve three-ply toilet paper? Or like, can I just use these paper towels from the kitchen? Like, what's really the difference? Like, weird, weird skimping out on the basics. Um, And another reason for that was just the basics weren't really valued in my house. So I didn't even think like, oh no, it's a pretty good thing to have enough toilet paper at home. So one of the biggest things I had to learn was just like basic how to take care of yourself. And it would really manifest itself when I went to Trader Joe's because I would see lilies, which are my absolute favorite flower in the whole wide world. I love how they burst open with perfume and they just make any room instantly elegant and calm. So I'd see the lilies in their bucket of water and I'd fall in love and I'd grab them and and put them in my shopping cart. And then immediately I would be seized with, you don't deserve lilies. These are too expensive. This is going to be like the downfall of your finances. Like 
weird, like crazy doom scenario. So I'd take the flowers and I'd ditch them between the kale and pita chips. And after like years of this, after all of the reparenting, one day I was in Trader Joe's and I was just like, fuck this. I am worth $7 lilies. I am worth the thing that instantly makes my life better. And if I'm not worth $7 lilies, why the fuck am I working so hard at my job? And it was like a huge turning point because I realized we are worth the small attainable luxuries that make our lives better. We are worth those things that just bring a little joy. Like it doesn't need to be a part of a bigger plan. It can just make you happier. And I I learned not to skimp out on myself that by treating myself with such scarcity, I was only hurting myself. It was not making me stronger. Again, if denying myself worked, I would have just continued to do that. But it was making me more and more brittle. So, you know, as I talk to readers, I hear all kinds of things that are people's lilies. It's like an order of guac with my tacos, fresh blueberries. These are things people beat themselves up and deny themselves and say, I'm not worth it. And my message is, you are worth the guac. You are worth the blueberries. You know, it's not going to ruin you. It's going to make you stronger. So good. I mean, I read that and I, I related so hard. And I'm curious if there's anything... I mean, I know all of the rituals are so important and it all kind of has a culminating effect. But like, did you do anything to trick yourself into into getting out of that scarcity mindset? Oh my God, so many tricks. All of the tricks, all of my attention at it. But I'd say probably um, the biggest thing I did was I decided to luxuriate in the basics of my life. So that means when I open my sock drawer, I dare you to find a sock with a hole in it. Mm. You, you, you cannot, you cannot because we don't have that here. Um, you know, cause I think we get really stuck on the big moments. I'm going to get married in a beautiful wedding and like everything will be perfect. One day I'll buy my dream vacation house and then I'll be happy. When I get the promotion, then things will be different. And it's like, you get this life right now, right this very second you can make it a lot more joyful and happy just by focusing on the mundane details of your life because that actually is what your life is made up of. So if you want to shortcut all of this and help yourself get out of a scarcity mindset, I'd say take the basics of your life as the luxuries they are. Socks without holes, a made bed, a made bed, make your fucking bed. If you do nothing else, make your bed. Um, sheets that aren't torn to shreds, the little things. Treat yourself like you would treat a guest in your home. Treat yourself like you'd treat your best friend. Treat yourself like you'd treat a little girl who needs to be comforted. And, and you can do that in the really most basic, basic habits of your day. Oh, I love it so much. I am definitely reevaluating my entire underwear drawer right <laughs> after this interview. I got a lot of messages about this next episode. Number 69, brag better, master the art of fearless self-promotion. 
So self-promotion is something I think a lot of us struggle with, but it is actually so important for advancing our careers, getting noticed, and just getting more opportunities. In this clip with the author of the book, Brag Better, Meredith Feynman offers us a few quick tips to help us package ourselves better and become more visible. You're obviously going to get a lot more in the full episode, but even just listening to this quick clip will get you started on the right track today. Yeah. So the number one, everybody who comes to me has one of five problems. They have no profile. So they don't have anything out there. They're switching industries. So they're known for one thing, but they want to you know, change that narrative. Um, they have reputational confusion, which means that one thing they've done really overshadows everything else. And that's not actually who they are. Then there's crisis, which I don't really deal with. Put your foot in your mouth, did something bad, and that's all over the internet. Um, and then the fifth, which is the most common, which is that you do too many different things. So you're not known for any one thing. And it's, it's sort of an unfair thing to level but it's true in that we are all multi-hyphenates now. Like that's just sort of the way the new world and economy works. I, it doesn't need to be in a pretty package yet. Just put it all in one place. Like at least put it all in one website, you know, and say, here are the different things I do and just write them out so that you at least just have one link. The point is you want someone to be able to say yes to you as fast as possible. And you need to make it really, really easy for them. People are stressed. Attention spans are very short. You want to, ha- and this is true in PR. This is, you know, one of the main things that brag better is like you, if someone can't figure out who you are and what you do and what you're about in 30 seconds, they're going to move on to someone who's better packaged, who's probably less qualified and less interesting and less cool, but they've just put it in a nicer box to hand someone. Mm-hmm. It's just easier. It's easier. It's easier. It's easier. And if you think about, you know, I'm talking about very outward facing here, but I mean, it's about effective, effective, strategic, fast communication of your work. Yeah. And um, I know you, I I know you've mentioned before, but there's like a couple of things that you can even, I want people to like walk away from this interview and be like, here are a couple of things that I can do today to to help like me, you know, help mm-hmm. help make myself more visible, help make myself into a better package. So I'd love to hear some of those things. Like I know you mentioned the buying the domain name, which is, I mean, I think I, I was giving it a little shit earlier, but it is, it is actually a very smart thing to do. And just to have your yourself just easy to find online. Um, you've mentioned the email signature um, a couple of times. So what do you mean by that? Like, what do you want to see in somebody's email signature? Yeah. So let's do a couple of things. One, buying the domain of your name and thinking about a personal website. Two, Uh, In that vein, checking around social media platforms you may or may not use, making sure you... I don't care what your handles are, but I care that they match. So if... I mean, I don't want you to have like too goofy of one, but at least make it consistent. Um, Because what breaks through with messaging is repetition and consistency. Email signature. Does it have your phone number in case someone decides they would prefer to talk to you on the phone? So a lot of bigger cheeses or certain people would rather just call you. And sometimes it's a lot faster and more effective. Do you have a link to your personal site? If not, do you have a link to your LinkedIn? If not, do you have a link to your bio on your company website? Please do not put your email address in your email signature. People still do this, but you're emailing me from that email. And so I don't need your email address. And at least put something there, you know, and and have something preset. Be careful. Think about your mobile signature. You know, there is the scent from my iPhone, which frankly, I think I probably need to look at and, and have it be better organized because um, it looks sloppy. And it it's it's not even that it looks sloppy. It's just you're missing a shot. 
-hmm. You're missing an opportunity and someone might only open your emails once, which Mm -hmm. is probably what's going to happen. And then let's open that Google Doc or wherever you write things down and put it in your calendar for 15 minutes every two weeks to write down your wins. Um, And if you're having trouble, email some colleagues and friends and ask them some things, you know, brag about qualities or things you've done. Because often we also don't value things we're really good at. So if a friend said like, oh, I can't believe you had the balls to just call this person. I'm like, well, yeah, that's like all I do. You know, there are lots of things that people admire about you that one, you might not know or recognize about yourself. So just do those today. And there are lots more in the Brag Better book and online and the varying places I've written. Um, But that's a place to start. Gaps in the diet shouldn't be ignored. Over 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet. And 95% are not getting their recommended daily intakes of key omega-3s. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin was formulated by exhaustive research to help fill nutrient gaps in the diets of women ages 18 plus. It is formulated with nutrients to help support brain health, bone health, blood health, and provide antioxidant support. But Ritual didn't stop there. They invested in a gold standard university-led clinical trial to prove the impact of Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin. The result? Essential for Women 18 Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in 12 weeks. I mean, that is huge. A published clinical study is a big deal and a serious commitment to a first-of-its-kind standard in the industry. And I mean, I started taking Ritual about a year and a half, maybe like two years ago. And this might actually sound silly, but one of my favorite things about Ritual is that it can be taken on an empty stomach. And I know that sounds weird, but I normally like just have a cup of coffee in the morning and then wait a few hours to eat. So when I've taken or tried to take other supplements in the past, I almost always forget to take them. Because Ritual can be taken on an empty stomach, it just makes it so much easier to stick to the regimen. I take mine first thing in the morning and it has this like nice little minty fresh taste. And then by continuously taking Ritual daily, I know I'm getting the nutritional support I need when I'm not necessarily getting it from my mac and cheese. Right now, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash big kid and turn healthy habits into a ritual. That's 10% off at ritual.com slash big kid. If you listen to this podcast regularly, you know we like to go there. I mean, we talk about some not-so-pretty topics, and this next episode is one of them. We're talking about the ugly side of resentment and learning to let go and forgive, even when we really don't want to. They say holding grudges is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. So to help us stop doing that, we had on Life Coach and host of the Heal, Survive, Thrive podcast, Stephanie Lynn. Here's a clip from that episode. It's number 77 if you want to go back and listen to the whole thing. For me, I'm like, I'm just going to cut this person out. Like, I'm like, if, you're, if you've hurt me at this level, you know, I'm like, I don't want you in my life. And mm-hmm. can you still forgive somebody and not 
and do that at the same time. Be like, I don't want to be friends with you, but I am also going to forgive you and not be friends with you. Like, I feel like if you're not letting them back into your life, you're still kind of holding that resentment. Well, yes and no. I hear you, but it's not as black and white in that as that because it's a matter... And again, it, it comes a matter of respect and boundaries and standards. So if you hurt me, there's going to be a new standard that's put into play. And then over time, I'll see if you can meet that standard to not be the asshole that you were, <laughs> that you once were, basically. You know what I mean? Like, so if that's met, then we can coexist and I can forgive you and you can be in my life. If I'm upset with you and I forgive you, but I just, I don't feel you're a person that I want in my life based on who you are and your character, then no, then it's fine. You cannot have someone in your life. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, so in my situation, I have no choice but to have a person in my life because I share a child with this person. So in that sense, my happiness and my son's happiness and how I want to feel. And I also don't want to have, I don't want anyone to ever have control over me. Mm-hmm. And I heard someone once say, you know, they were this video and the woman was saying, I've forgiven this person. I'm so over it. And the person, the guy looked at her and he goes, but you're not because every time, every time this person enters the room, you change your energy. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> like that just like got me so bad because I was like, you're right. Like I can say forgive, but when you walk in the room, my energy changes. Like either I'm, I'm still like, eh, fuck her. You know what I mean? Or, oh, whatever. I don't care about this person. Or, oh, she's a what, there's something going on in the mind. So until I can kind of be completely, it takes a lot of work and, and control in order to, you know, in the moment when that person walks in to just not have them control your energy and your state. Yeah. But that's what I mean when I always say like, this is a practice. This is not just like, okay, forgive you and bye and we can coexist. Right. It's so funny. I just had, um, I just had Shep Rose on the podcast from Southern Mm -hmm. Charm. I don't know if you watch Southern Charm. Yeah. Yeah. But he said this, he said this and I was like, whoa, he was like, I never want to be in a situation where I walk into a restaurant and I have, I see somebody like, and have like that gross interaction where it's like, Ooh, I, I, they don't want to see me. I don't want to see them. And I was like, ooh, I have a couple of those where I'm like, you know, it's the same thing. I'm like, I know if I saw them, like I would still, I would still, like you said, like my whole energy would change. So how do you get there? Like, how do you get to that point where you can like be okay in the presence of someone? Well, I mean, I think it takes understanding. This is where this could be a little bit more logical than emotional. Like, if you have an understanding as to why someone does what they do, like a full understanding, not just like, oh, I get it. Like she's got a daddy issue or this happened to them when they were little. Like, no, but like really at the core of like us being humans, connecting with each other, can you see why someone did what they did? If you can say, yes, I understand why this person did what they did, then you have to understand that they're human. They're going to mess up. And that even though it had to do with me, it wasn't about me. And yeah, I got dealt this hand but I'm in a good space and I'm over it. That if I see you in a restaurant, not that I'm going to sit near you and have a glass of wine and have a conversation, but I could 100% walk past you as I'm going to the bathroom and just tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, how are you? Hmm. Is that something- you know what I mean? Because again, that's my energy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think that it more so has to do with my energy and me being happy and content and at peace versus wanting to purposely not go up to someone that I used to have a relationship with or used to have a friendship with or or what have you. 
Is that something you can like fake it till you make it? Like, would you recommend if, you know, someone was in that situation where they're still in an awkward situation with somebody, but they're, you know, they happen to be in a public place and they're there, like, would you say, don't ignore and like stay in that ickiness, like just address it and like go up to the person? I think you could fake it till you make it. But I think when you fake it, it's not because you're faking it and it's not something that is organic and you know you're not sitting in like true authenticity you're doing something that you don't really maybe want to do but you're going to do it um i think after it's done then you're going to deal with some mucky water something's going to come up right so so what's going to come up is it going to be she's still a bitch i'm still upset by what he did i can't believe he did that to you or what there's going to be a story that comes up so the story is what you're going to have to like kind of tend to and deal with does that make sense yeah yeah. I, and I see what you're saying too. It's not necessarily like faking it till you make it, but just knowing like, okay, I can I can say hello to them. And this is like, mm. this is for me, actually. This is this towards is my you. growth. Yep. And like, and but that's the thing is like everything is for you. So if you look, I'm so glad you said that because if you look at it from that space, then why do I want to stay in this space? And again, black and white, uh, this is not black and white, it's gray. So there are going to be days where the old you is going to fight you on it. And it's going to say, no, like screw that person. Like they did this, whatever. So it's going to want to pull you back to like old habits. There has to be a part of you, whether it's a loving part of you, whether it's, you know, the goodness in you that understands like, look, they're not healthy. Like, let's just be real. You know what I mean? Like, they're not okay. Like, they shouldn't have done this and they don't want to learn the lesson. And who am I to like hold you accountable? Like, I don't care. Don't learn the lesson. You're going to do it again with someone else at another time and in, in another way. And that's on you. I'm just trying to learn my lesson, which is learning how to like let go and forgive. And it's probably one of the biggest life lessons you can learn. Let's talk about love, baby. In this next clip from episode number 84 with international speaker and author of Rethink Love, Monica Berg talks to us a little about soulmates and why we may be looking in the wrong places and for the entirely wrong packages. Take a listen. And that's funny that you, obviously, when you first met your husband, you you didn't necessarily put two and two together that that was going to be your person. And this is not three and four or five and six, (laughs) (laughs) which is so great because that's like something I remember when I was single, I felt like it was such a limiting belief. Like I thought that I had to see when I saw my future husband, I would know instantly because like, this is what we see in movies. It kind of goes back to that, I guess, Cinderella syndrome situation, but I even have friends that, you know, they start dating somebody and they're not, they're like, I just don't know if he's my soulmate. I just don't, you know, I don't know if he's my soulmate. And I love, I'd love for you to kind of talk a little bit about that notion of soulmates and why we don't necessarily need that. It's interesting because I was just speaking to somebody recently and uh, (laughs) it was the first time I met her. She wanted a session on relationships and she was talking about this guy and that guy. And then 40 minutes into the conversation, she'd booked an hour, 40 minutes. She tells me about this other guy that is great. Like she, there's nothing wrong with it, but she doesn't know why she's, she can't decide to commit to this one. And I said to her, you know, perhaps because maybe he is the one, but in your fantasy, in your ideal sense of what your soulmate or your husband should be, look like, et cetera, he's not matching that. So although everything else feels right, you're thinking it should be something else. 
Uh, and that's the problem I have with the soulmate term. I do believe that there are soulmates, which is basically two parts of a soul that have separated and they come back through a process of earning one another through things they've done in their lifetime. But there's also many different sparks of soul. I think you can have many relationships that are like soulmate relationships. What is a soulmate relationship? It's a relationship where two people actually are able to bring out the best in one another. And by best, I don't mean that it's all roses and peaches all the time. It's that you're able to see their potential and you're helping them meet it as who they want to become and vice versa. So, you know, a lot of people think, you know, if at the beginning or when we're dating, we have like, we like the same hobbies or we enjoy the same things that I know this is the one. But the truth of the matter is you really want a partner who after you get married, then you're compatible, right? The way that you approach arguments or the way you approach your future, or the way you approach change and growth and spirituality, that's what really matters. And I think that that is what makes a soulmate a soulmate. I know we are currently in engagement season and many of you out there may be wondering if your significant other is proposing anytime soon. Spoiler alert, I think I went through three holiday cycles expecting the ring and never getting it. So trust me when I say, I know the struggle. I had to include this clip from episode number 68 Where's the Ring with comedian Jacqueline Marfuji. I mean, I still get messages about it all the time. Like me, she waited over five years for that proposal to come. And she's going to share with us in this clip from that episode what she wishes she could go back and tell herself when she was still waiting and still super frustrated. Just sit back, enjoy the ride, and let people come to you. Don't white knuckle that shit. And I took that to heart. I just stopped. And so with engagements, with work, with everything, all of a sudden, I just saw that coming in. And I feel like that's a good metaphor for life and getting fucking engaged. (laughs) Be like frozen and let that shit go. (laughs) Like It's just, you gotta do you. And I wasn't my best self when I thought I was getting engaged to a year ago. Like, it's just, you just gotta keep moving. You gotta keep going. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like that was- I love that. I love that perspective. I was gonna ask you like, if you could go back to yourself maybe like six months ago or even two months ago before you got engaged, like what you would say? Hang in there. And it's what I think Brandon said to you. He, My guy finally just kept saying like, just hang in there. Just, just fucking chill. Like, no, like good things are coming. He kept saying that. Good things are coming. You'll, it's going to be fine. And I'm like, that's the worst thing you could say to someone that like always wants to control shit. I mean, I even, I was reading an article. I saw that like Stassi and Bo had their baby and the article was, it had her being like, I control everything. I'm going to propose to him. I'm going to make this happen if he doesn't. And I was like, I, and my boyfriend would joke about it and be like, why don't you propose to me? And I'm like, I don't want to. That's not my job. I'm not on the bachelorette. I'm not on that shit. I don't want to do it. You know, like, come on. Yeah, it's so true. I feel like we're similar in that way. Like, I'm also like, I, I try to control freaking everything. So in these situations where I don't have control, it's like, I can't handle it. <laughs> the worst. And I know. it's funny, I even was looking at like, 
people I dated that were like wishing me well, like their Instagrams now. And like, I used to get so upset. I don't know about you, but like in my 20s, when I would date someone, it wouldn't work out. Like the pain and like the Instagram stalking and like thinking they were my person. The amount of times I've been like good luck chuck to someone and like had them like get married immediately after I dated them. Like <sighs> over five times. And like some of them are like famous people. Like it's literally like, wow, like I trained you. So that was a fear of mine was that I was going to go through this train, you know, and then be the good luck Chuck. And then they're going to go off and get married to someone else. Like that was also something that like, I was like, am I I making you perfect for someone else? Like, is this what you're doing? You know? I can't imagine. I can't imagine. That has got to be scary. So when you when you did have the combo, like, because you did say you had a combo, right, with him before you guys got engaged, like, what did you say? I, again, was silent for some of it because I didn't want to say the wrong thing. Like, I was holding back tears. I literally was speechless. And he knows me. He knows when I get really quiet, something's wrong. Because mm-hmm. uh, I have to process. And then I was just like, look, like, we have, it's the summer, like if in six months from now, like if things aren't different, I kept saying that, like, I want things to be different. Like I just, I want to move to the next level. And if they're not like, I love you, but I can't, I just can't do this anymore. And that was pretty much it. And it was just like an understanding that he was away on a job. So this all had to happen. Like he was out of state. So this all happened on the phone. He came back. And I think he thought about things. I think his family also probably talked to him. I mean, when we got engaged, his sister handed me a wine glass that said fucking finally. So like, <laughs> yeah, it's like I was like, oh, you guys are in on the joke. Like you get it. And they were like, yeah. yeah. <gasps> Want another aha moment? You aren't the only one who feels overwhelmed when it comes to handling personal finances. I'm right there with you. Credit Karma is here to help you make those big calls with more confidence. Whether you're refinancing credit card debt or paying for an upcoming expense, Credit Karma uses your credit data to show you fresh personal loan offers that are personalized to you. On Credit Karma, you can check out multiple loan offers side by side. Members who compare loan offers on Credit Karma save an average of 30% on interest rates. It's completely free and easy to sign up for a Credit Karma account with no effect on your credit score, making it simple to search for the right personal loan for you. Credit Karma will even show you your approval odds so you can choose offers that you're more likely to get approved for and apply with more confidence. And once you have a loan, Credit Karma can help you track your progress as you pay off your debt and even let you know if you can refinance and save. Ready to apply? Head to creditkarma.com slash loan offers to see personalized offers with your approval odds right now. Go to creditkarma.com slash loan offers to find the loan for you. That's creditkarma.com slash loan offers. So if you listen to this podcast regularly or follow me on Instagram, you know 2021 was a big year for me personally because your girl got married. Finally. (laughs) Like so many other brides over the last two years, I mean, I had a hell of a time trying to plan a wedding in a pandemic. And after everything was said and done, I mean, I kind of found myself like wondering if all the stress was even worth it. I mean, being a bride was a way different experience than I 
think I thought it would be. And after connecting with my good friend and fellow podcaster, Krista Williams from the wildly popular Almost 30 podcast, I realized I actually wasn't alone. In episode number 88, it's called The Bridal Debrief, Wedding Regrets and Lessons Learned. Krista and I had a very open conversation about all the things we learned and wish we could go back and do differently if we were to go through our weddings again. Because that's like the super frustrating thing. I mean, you learn so much going through the process and then you can never put that knowledge to use again. I mean, hopefully not. Hopefully you stay married and don't get married again. But I got just so many messages about this episode. And if you're a bride-to-be or know a bride-to-be, you may want to pass this whole episode along or give it a listen yourself. It's number 88. I wish I could have listened to this before my big day. If anything, just to like give me some different expectations. Oh, and also after I play this clip for you, I'm going to piggyback off of it and share some new thoughts I have about your wedding day. I mean, now that I've had some more time to like digest the whole thing, it's been what, six months from my wedding. I think my perspective has changed a little bit. But in this clip, it was still very fresh. So give it a listen. Somebody told me that when I first got engaged, they one of the pieces of like wisdom they gave me about wedding planning is they were like, you will be amazed at who shows up for you and you will be equally, Yo. equally amazed by who doesn't show up for you. Yeah. And I found that to be super true. Yeah. That was heart, that was heartbreaking for me. I remember talking to Lindsay on the phone and just like calling her, and I just was like FaceTiming and I was fucking crying so hard. I was like, dude, I don't think I can take it anymore because I felt like there was like re- my really good friends. Like I said, I had three really, really good friends that told me like very last minute, they weren't able to come for like X, Y, and Z reason. And I was just like, yo, I would have done anything to come. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would have done anything to come. And I just, it didn't make sense to me at all. Wait, See? we have to talk about, we have to talk about something real quick because I've been trying to articulate this and I feel like what you were just what? saying is so true. Is there, there's certain things that are heartbreaking through the process. Like I, when I used to think of wedding planning, like I used to just think of like the rom-coms and how like fun it was going to be and then like dress up sequence. And there was several things that were like absolutely heart-wrenching through the process. One was definitely the people who like don't show up for you. And I don't know if you felt this at all, but also like, I feel like when I would look at the bridal experience, it felt like there was so much that went into the family and friends like surrounding the bride that you were like, brides are usually so supported. And for me, I felt like super lonely in the process. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, I felt, I felt lonely and I just felt like, I felt like it brings every single thing up. Yes. It's like, okay, your relationship where you're like, are you ready to be with this person forever? And Justin and I had like a hard year up to it. Like it was like COVID times, we were all home, blah, blah, blah. And like, I didn't realize I had an adversity to marriage. Like my parents got divorced. It was like pretty ugly. And I was like, I had this like fear of it. So that came up for me. And then there's body stuff, which we talked about on the phone before when we were preparing, like, it's like, okay, you have to look the best you've ever looked. You have to be the most in shape you've ever been. You have to be perfectly on point, blah, blah, blah. Like there's so much about your body Mm -hmm. and like how you look. 
And then there's also your friends. It's like, who shows up for you? Who doesn't? Who makes you a priority? Who doesn't? And then there's money. You're like, how much are we going to spend? How much? You know what I mean? It's like every area of your life is getting hit with like this pressure. And it's freaking... Yeah. I I mean, I was like before, the week before, I'm like, dude, this is like, when will this be fun? (laughs) I was saying that up until like 6 p.m. the day of the wedding. A hundred percent. Like it, and that just one more thing, even to the friends thing, it's like family dynamics too. I feel like all come yeah. up. Like I started like going back into childhood where I was like, oh, I felt like my parents didn't, you know, show up then and they're not showing up now. Yes. It was just like a lot of that. But yeah, the, yes. the whole like, when is this going to be fun thing? That was another surprising part of, I thought the actual wedding day is I feel like everybody says it's the best day of your life. You know, it's know. it's the best day of your life. And I was literally, I felt like I had so many obligations during the day. I was like, at one point I was like, I'm done with this. Yeah, I think that's the thing too, that, that pressure. Like I didn't like that either. Like when we were we landed on Wednesday. Most of the people for the wedding landed on Wednesday and people would come up to me. They're like, are you having the best time of your life? And I'm like, I literally don't know. (laughs) Like it would be like the pressure of like, make sure you have the best day or even like, this is so dumb, but like to have sex on your wedding night, you know, those kind of like expectations and pressures. You're like, is this like, why is this making me more stressed than like enjoying myself? And there is so much of the process where like the day of, I didn't really feel that good. I didn't feel like, I looked my best. I didn't feel like I wasn't having fun. Like it wasn't like fun for me. I was kind of sick of like getting ready and stuff. I was sick of like prep. I was sick of caring about how I looked. And so I think that is like for brides, it's like, it's okay if it's not the best day of your life. I think the week was like the most incredible, but I also don't compare days. I'm not like someone that's like, this is the worst day and this is the best day. Like I have no idea what the best days of my life are. I think you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. That was just like something I I think my expectations were way off about just because I kept hearing mm-hmm. that it's the best day of your life, it's the best day of your life. I had a great day and it's it's good on like yes. a lot of other levels, like which we'll get to because yes. there is like so much that so much good that comes out of your wedding day. It just wasn't the type of enjoyment that I thought was just going to be like a 100% like amazing at all points of the day. Like there were highs, there were lows. It was an emotional day. I mean, there's a lot. Okay, so I just want to jump in here for a second because now that I've had some time to gain a little more perspective on my wedding, I have some thoughts. So we talked about that whole notion of like, is it really the best day of your life? And now that I'm six months past it, I look at that whole day so differently I mean, it really was the best day of my life, but not really because of the day itself or like how my hair and makeup looked or how the party went. I just look at that day now as so special because it really was like the starting point of the rest of my life. I mean, it's hard to articulate, but that day just has so much meaning to me now. Like, it, And it really is just magical and beautiful because you're marrying your person and you're becoming family and like starting your lives together on that day. Like that day just represents so much. It's the starting point of your new lives together. And now, oh my God, now I am so thankful for that day. And it really does like stand out in my memory as like one of the most meaningful days of my life. Probably the most meaningful day of my life. 
I mean, I swear, I look at all weddings differently now. <laughs> like I was recently at my friend's wedding and she was so stressed out. Like there were issues with decor and her dress and something else. Like I don't even remember. But I couldn't help but kind of like chuckle to myself because that was me. Like that was so me. And now I know the truth. Like none of that shit actually matters. Saying I do and marrying my husband was the best thing that ever happened to me. And that day, even with all of its flaws, will always stand out to me as one of the best of my life. Period. (laughs) All right. Sorry to get sentimental there for a moment. I'm a little bit of a mush these days. But that kind of leads me to this last clip, actually. Because really the cherry on top of 2021 for me personally has been getting pregnant. I am due in April next year with my first baby and it is super exciting. It's also terrifying and all the things. And many of you listening may be in a similar boat or may, you know, maybe you're thinking about having kids one day or maybe you're already parents. But for anyone who thinks parenting might be on their life path, episode number 97 with Christina Kuzmich is like required listening. A lot of times on this show, we talk about topics I have some life experience in, like whether it's relationships, career stuff, anxiety. I usually have some input on these episodes. But this episode, I felt completely blind. Like I felt like I was learning along with you guys the whole time as Christina told us a lot of stuff that nobody tells you about becoming a parent. And in this particular clip I'm going to play for you, she gives us some no bullshit parenting advice that really, really resonated with me personally. And I don't know, it was one of my big aha moments this year. So I had to include it. I love this whole episode, but here is a quick clip. Enjoy. No book that I read when I was pregnant tells you about the abuse you're going to receive And I'm not even talking about from your kids when they're teenagers or from other people, like the self-abuse you are going to have when you become a parent. Because the minute you become a parent, this becomes like the most important thing to you. You, even on days where you hate parenting, and by the way, you will have those days and don't feel guilty about that. That's normal. Not Mm -hmm. loving motherhood 100% of the time does not mean you don't love your child 100% of the time. So even on those days, like you love your child so much and you you just want to be perfect for them. And that's impossible. And so I just, the kinder you are, this is a rule I have in parenting. The harder the day, the kinder I have to be to myself. Literally, if, you know, when my kids were little, if they're throwing a tantrum, if they're having a really bad day, or my oldest son, he's 18 now, he went through some serious mental health struggles the last four years. Anything that's like really heavy and hard, I sort of check in with myself and I go, okay, today is going to be heavy. So Christina, you know what to do. You know your assignment. You're going to be so freaking kind to yourself. You're going to give yourself so much credit. You're going to give yourself so much grace. You're going to treat yourself the way you would treat your you know, best friend. Um, that is going to help you through so much because you're going to have really crappy days. Mm-hmm. And on that same note, um, I have this thing I do in my show where I talk, well, before COVID, what I used to do is I used to invite, I used to ask the audience, is there anybody who's never knitted before? And I used to invite them on stage and I would give them yarn and I would say, never knitted before. Great. Knit me a sweater right now. And I want it to be perfect. And then I would sort of stand there and mock them. And the audience would be like, oh my gosh, you're so cruel. They've literally never done it. And you expect them to do it perfectly. And here's the thing. When you're first handed that baby, you've never parented before. 
And yet you're going to expect yourself to do it perfect. And every time you make a mistake, and FYI, you will make plenty of mistakes. You're going to beat yourself up. You're going to feel inadequate. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, I'm not ready for this. What am I doing wrong? You are completely normal, human, wonderful. You're not failing. You are learning. You've never done this before. And then even if you have a fifth child, that fifth child will be completely different than the first one because parenting is not like riding a bike. Mm. Okay. The first kid might be a bike and you might be like, I got this. The second one will probably be a tractor. Okay. My youngest <laughs> is a spaceship. Point being, you are going to learn from scratch every single day of parenting with every new kid, with every new stage. So keep reminding yourself, I'm not failing, I am learning, and I have nothing to feel guilty about. Honestly, I could sit here and give you so many parenting tips on how to deal with a tantrum and how to deal with picky eaters, but none of it will matter as much as just being so freaking good to yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is the, the universal, most important parenting tip I can give. All right. That is a wrap on our episode and a wrap on our 2021 season. I can't believe it's over. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you learned something or picked up a tool or something that benefited you in some way this year. I mean, that is honestly what why this show exists. It's for you guys. If you've been enjoying the show, you can actually help keep it running by making sure you're subscribed and by leaving a nice little review if you could, right now, like before you forget, because I know it's easy to forget to do these things, but click on leave a review and just write a few sentences, maybe like why you like the show or something you learned this year. It makes such a huge difference. And I will actually be sending out a few end of the year thank you gifts for anyone who leaves a new review. Just screenshot your review after you send it and DM me on Big Kid Problems on Instagram so I know where the review came from. It really would be the best New Year's gift you could give me or any of the podcasts you love. I mean, I swear, those two-second reviews just make all the difference. If you want more from me, you can follow me on Big Kid Problems on Instagram and on my personal account at Sarah Merrill underscore Hall. You can check out my brand new pregnancy podcast, Bottle Service. We're having a lot of fun over there. Come hang out. And with all of that, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for tuning in and supporting the show this year. Thank you to anyone who shared this podcast with a friend or on their social networks. It makes a huge difference and helps the show continue to stay on the air. And thank you for even just spending your time with me today. Like if this is your first episode or if you've been listening for a while, you know I'm always truly, truly honored every time you click on this podcast. So seriously, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. And I'm wishing you all the best new year and I'll see you in 2022.